Hey, welcome to the Night Church Podcast. My name is Philip, and I am so excited for what you're about to listen to. These are sermons and presentations by young adults and for young adults. If you're visiting in the area, we hope that you join us for Night Church on Friday nights. Or if you're a regular here in Loma Linda, I hope that you'll share this sermon with someone that you love and care about. Now, for the sermon. Hey, I hope you've really enjoyed the first part of this sermon. These sort of productions do require some financial giving, and so if you'd like to take part in reaching more young adults across North America and even the world, would you consider giving on praxisministry.org? And there you can sign up and select Praxis Young Adults to be part of our giving campaign. Hope you enjoy the rest of this sermon. Good evening, everyone. It's wonderful to see you guys, and it's such an amazing, I don't know, I just love it outside right now. It feels great. But thank you for joining us, you guys, on this journey through Revelation. Um, We're going to continue diving deep and going through the book. Um, And yeah, so let's say a word of prayer to get started. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for just the freedom and the opportunity to be here together, to talk about you, to um, go through Revelation, God, and um, honestly just see the the hope and the beauty and the call that you give us through that book. Um, be with what I'm going to share, and I ask that you be with all the hearts who are here. In your name I pray, amen. So how many of you guys have ever been on a road trip? Okay, backpacking trip? Okay. <laughs> um, what is one of the most essential things that you have to take with you? Okay, snacks, toilet paper. <laughs> Pack out what you take with you, though, if you take toilet paper. Yes. What about a map? Nobody said that. Um, how many of you guys have actually ever opened and held a paper map? Do you even know what to do with one? Wow, there's more people than I thought. <laughs> so I remember when we've been spoiled with GPS, but I remember um, when I was younger, um, I remember watching like my grandpa and even like my family like right when GPS was kind of coming out and we didn't know if we could trust it or not, um, the map would get laid out on the table and the route would get highlighted. And I remember my grandpa doing this. And I don't know if he was going somewhere or he was just showing us, but he would highlight the route and like how far, what's the distance, what's the highways, and then he'd circle the end. Um, Last summer, Wayne, David Beck, and my cousin and I got to do the Lost Coast backpacking up in NorCal, highly recommended. And before this, I had not used a map, and I was like, I should probably look at one. Um, Also because unbeknownst to us, we didn't know that this rated one of the most technical backpacking trips um, because of the tides. And so we had to study the tide charts, we had to study the map, and like, where's the high ground, where can we stop, how far do we have to go every day, and like, how far do we have to go before we can get into safety and not get like, swept out with the tide. And then we circled the end. And so it, like, this is kind of how I have seen Revelation 
as I have been reading through it, I see Revelation almost like a roadmap for us. And why is this important? I think a lot of things in our world today vie for our attention. And how do we know what's good, right? How do we know who we're trusting, what we're trusting to be our direction, to be the roadmap in our life? And are these things leading us to good? And is it the truth that God wants us to take in? So we're gonna explore this a little bit more. Revelation is awesome. Um, you know, when I was younger, it was kind of a, a weird relationship with Revelation. But as, you know, I had to teach Sabbath school for it, I think a few months ago, and then preparing for tonight, it's actually been really, um, it's actually been kind of fun reading through it. Um, Revelation gives us the details of what happened in the past, what is currently happening, and what will happen. Last week, Matt went through chapters 8 to 11, and this week we're continuing through chapter 12, technically through 14, but I was told I only have 20 minutes. And if I showed you the amount of notes that I have, we can talk later. You can come over for lunch on a Saturday or something. We can talk. The other thing is Phillips talked about this book a lot. Highly recommended. Dr. Stavanovich wrote it. It's a commentary on Revelation. And it's been such an easy read and so just such an abu a beautiful addition. <coughs> so before we go into chapter 12, though, we kind of have to start with 11 verse 19. You see, Revelation is about John's vision, right? And John's vision did not have chapters. So we kind of put chapters and um, his vision was just one run, long-running vision. And so it starts, it says, Then God's temple in the heaven was opened, and within his temple was seen the ark of his covenant. There came flashes of lightning, rumbling peals of thunder, and an earthquake and a severe hailstorm. This is significant before we even start chapter 12. Because John, in the middle of Revelation, in the middle of this big um, vision, he sees this encouraging depiction. And why is this significant? Because he sees that Jesus is working on our behalf. He sees that Jesus is in the most, most holy place. So chapter 12 is strategically placed, I think. Um, Revelation's been going on. We've been told of all the, what's going to happen. And without chapter 12, Revelation would almost be um, just like a make-believe story or like a, a fortune-telling story without any hope in it. But chapter 12, I think, was strategically placed, and God is good, putting it right in the middle of Revelation to say, hey, hold on, let me just remind you that like I've already won. And so he gives us a hope. So as we go through tonight, like, we're good. God's won. Spoiler alert. That's the end of the story. We've circled it on the map. Now let's explore. So we're going to read through chapter 12. You guys want to open it on your Bibles and kind of talk through some of the verses. And starting with verse 1. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with a sun and the moon under her feet and her head a crown of 12 stars. So the use of the word woman in the Bible refers to God's people. Whether faithful or unfaithful, the woman refers to God's people. The 12 stars on her head symbolizing the church. Verse 2, she was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads, ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. 
the red dragon symbolizes the enemies of God. Give me one second. It's not scrolling. It represents the enemies of God. Now, why the dragon? Right? Why make it such a scary beast? I mean, let me ask you. If it was presented as like a little guinea pig in Revelation, like would you really take it as seriously? Probably not. But a big red dragon tells us, hey, this is important. You better pay attention. He's big. He means business. He's angry. I just picture in my head this little tiny guinea pig, like, being all angry. It probably wouldn't hold the same weight. So in verse, verse 4, we continue. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the women, woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. So we hear, see here Satan and the one-third of the angels fighting, the one-third that he deceived and convinced to follow him. Satan gets defeated. He gets tossed out. Can you imagine, Satan, how angry he must have been? Fuming, humiliated. Have you guys ever waited for something for a long time and thought, like, the next one is it, the next one is it? That has to be it. This is kind of where Satan finds himself. He gets tossed out, and he knows that with every male child that is born, is this the Messiah? Is this the one? Because I'm going to get him when he comes. Verse 5, she gave birth to a male child, who, one who is to rule. All the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God into his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she, was play, where she had a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Jesus was born, and God provided that surrounding of protection. Once again, Satan loses. Have you guys played board games with someone or sports with someone who's not a good loser? You, you didn't have to raise your hand, but thank you. <laughs> But you get taught as a kid, right? Like, don't be a sore loser. Well, Satan is like the literal definition of being the sore loser. The woman flees into the wilderness to be cared by God. And I think it's really beautiful because this is almost like a similar picture as the Israelites fleeing Egypt, fleeing Pharaoh, going into the wilderness where God cares for Israel, provides them with manna and nourishment. This time of nourishment was a time where the woman, who, remember, this is the God's people, his church, the Christian church, is assured that no matter how many trials they face or they are called to bear, God is watching over his church and will sustain them. Verse 7, we now, now war rose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. The battle. In this part of the vision, John almost gets this like flashback in history to when the war with Satan and Michael started before any one of us was present. Satan could not accept the defeat and so enraged that he was not able to get Jesus. War broke out. No match for Michael and his angels. They are cast out of heaven and onto earth. Verse 9, and the great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels thrown down with him. I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God 
and the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. For now Satan was being sentenced to earth, almost being called the ruler of the earth, until the final battle that would take place on the cross. He would represent earth, and he still had access to the heavenly courts in front of the Father. And we see this in the Old Testament. Remember Job's story? Where he comes in front of God and is asking permission about, like, can I go mess with Job? So he still has that access. And then we go into verse 11. And then we hear the loud voice of heaven. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in the great wrath, because he knows his time is short. When the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she, she is to be nourished for a time. By the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony, there has been victory. We are affirmed, again, that no matter the trials, those who love God, his followers, even unto death, are saved. Satan's lost, and guess what? He knows it, too. Because truly, if Satan didn't realize that he's already lost and he has such little time, he wouldn't be fighting so hard. Christ's death on the cross was the final nail in Satan's coffin. It was the final move. Satan was no longer the ruler on earth. He now had no presence in front of God, no more access to heavenly courts. And he didn't take this lightly. Knowing his time is short, he turns with his full wrath towards God's people. His goal? Bring down as many people with him as possible. Verse 15, the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. Satan begins persecuting the Christian church. His objective? Hurt God by bringing down as many of his children as possible. In history, this time frame takes place in the Middle Ages. Persecution really started after the cross and it continued to intensify. Dates estimated to be from 538 to 1798. Remember, the woman represents the Christian church. And water in this verse represents false teachings in the church. Satan's goal in persecuting Christians was to have people turn from God, to be discouraged. And Satan's efforts have not been stopped, have not stopped. He continues even today. But what he thought would work, the persecution he thought would work, it did the opposite. In fact, the persecution that the early Christians experienced acted more like a seed in spreading conviction and the word of God. Verse 16, and we'll, we'll finish chapter 12 here. But the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sands of the sea. Just when the Christian church seemed lost, lost relief was found in this new entity. It provided relief and protection, and once again, Satan loses. You know, that's honestly one thing that you can depend on throughout Revelation is he will continue to lose. 
Satan calls a timeout. He says, I got to go regroup. He went off and he needed to make a new plan. His goal is to war against God's children who follow commands. We don't have a whole ton of time tonight to really delve deep into this section, um, into Revelation twelve seventeen, But in the Greek, those who keep the commandments mean the remnant, those who are left holding on to the testimony of Jesus. When you guys go home, read Revelation 19, verse 10, and kind of for yourself study and dig deeper onto what that means. Let's just pause for a second. Can we celebrate how beautiful the victory in chapter 12 tells us there will be? Or really, the victory that already exists? And can we say thank goodness that we also are being made aware of what's to come? For the roadmap signs tell us exactly what Satan's plan is. There's no surprise. We have already been warned that Satan is trying this new tactic. He, can't, he could not wipe Christianity out by persecution, so now he comes up with a new plan, and he comes up with reinforcements. So what's the next best thing? Deception. We're not going to go through all of chapter 13, but in chapter 13 we see an un- unholy trinity that comes together. Satan, the earth, and the sea beast. And their goal? Counterfeit God and deceive. And so I want to... I want to focus on this. How do we know true versus false? How do you know what is authentic from fake? Have you guys ever played that game, Two Truths and a Lie? I think a lot of us have. I know we've played it here as icebreakers before. Well, what, what typically happens, right? If you play with a group of people that you know, you typically can figure out what their lie is. You play with a group of people you don't know, you have a one out of three chance of getting it correct. But why is it that you know what is true versus false? Because you've spent time together, you've known them for years, you've had conversations. In 2017, people in Italy were shocked to find out that more than 20 pieces of art thought to be by the artist Amadeo, and I butcher his last name every time, Modigliani, were likely faked. The exhibition was shut down early after the art critic and collector, Carlo Pepe, alerted the authorities that paintings were likely not authentic. A Michelangelo is a Michelangelo, a Picasso a Picasso, but when a painting is fake, it is missing its soul. And these were missing that three-dimensional elegance. Even a child could see these crude fakes, he said. It was later determined during an investigation that 20 out of the 21 paintings were fake. It took the art critic, the collector, the one who had studied the paintings, who knew, who had dedicated his life to this, which painting was false and which was an original. As we travel down the road of revelation and are told of the deceptions that will be played on God's people, it's kind of made me question, can I tell true or false? Do I know the truth? Do we know the truth? And how do we know God's truth? The writer of this commentary, and he has an excellent sermon series on YouTube. I highly recommend it. And his, in his sermon says, we have everything we need in the Bible. We have everything we need to know given to us right there. Everything else, all these commentaries, everything else, it just 
it's, you know, like the confetti around it, but the Bible gives us everything we need. We know truth by studying God's word, spending time in the word, becoming intimate with God. So much so that when we're presented fake, a deception, and we're able to recognize truth. So what does this look like in your life today? It seems today we have society telling a lot of, a lot of false teachings of where is your value placed, things we hold as idols. How much money do you have? How many degrees do you have? How early did you get married? How many kids do you have? How many houses do you have? How often do you travel? How busy are your weekends? How many followers do you have on whatever social media platform you decide to have nowadays? Your worth is not based on these things. These are not true. These things, all, most of these things, gone in a second. And something I've observed and I've wrestled with a lot in society is that there seems to be this push to find your truth. And I want to challenge that tonight because, friends, we can't all have our own truth. Anything other than God's truth is false. So I'll, I'll invite the band as we close. But what deceptions might be in your life? For me, this past year or year and a half, it's kind of the deception of success. Like I was in a job and when thing after thing started to happen, like started affecting my health, started affecting um, how present I was in ministry, I was questioning like, is this really what I'm supposed to be doing? And it's like, well, this is success, right? I did my career. I finished everything. Like I have to make this work. When I contemplated switching, it took me months to find peace and going back to my previous career. It made me question myself and my worth. Are there areas in your life that you have based your opinion, your decisions and convictions, not by God's word, but by what culture is saying? And are you letting culture mold what truth you're choosing to, decide, to live by? Guys, we have to pray for wisdom and discernment and desire. Really, it's the desire to know God's truth, to want to study and know it. It's not a mystery of what's going to come. Well, it's not just even what's coming, honestly. It's what's going on right now. And last week, Matt touched on something that I absolutely have always loved, and that's choice. That God gives us choice, and he respects it. And obviously, his, his desire would be for us to choose him. But he's going to let us choose. So really, the ball's in our court. I love reading through chapter 12 because of the hope it provides. We know what's happened, what's happening, and what will come. We know the end point. Revelation circles that point at the end of the map. We don't need to fear this deception. Satan is trying to accomplish. Like, he's lost. Christ has won. Satan's secret tactics have all been revealed. So tonight, I want to encourage you guys... What Revelation makes clear is that Satan is indeed a defeated enemy. He's been defeated in the decisive battle on the cross where his destiny has been definitely decided. During the history of the constant oppression, his efforts to destroy and sweep away the church have failed. In this is both the hope and the warning for God's people today as we face last days. Amen.
There's hope in knowing that we are confronting somebody who is already defeated. Jesus is coming. Are you, am I, ready to align with God's truth in our life? So as you guys go home tonight and tomorrow and just what actual and real steps do we need to take in your personal life to live by God's truth? I pray for wisdom for each of you. And I feel impressed to say that we will pray for the courage to look at these things and understand the word of God. That God's truth, not the world's truth, be written on your minds and guide every single day's actions. Hey, I'm so glad that you listened to the Night Church podcast sermon today. I know that God is going to do great things in your life. Whatever you felt and heard from the Lord through this sermon, I hope that you would share this with someone that you love and care about and that you would consider even joining us one Friday evening. Blessings to you and hope you get to listen to the next one coming up soon.